Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope you're ready. You know, as a family, as, as the Compass Church family, we want to be a people who do Christmas well. You know, and by that, yes, we mean celebrate it well and give gifts, but mostly we mean to do it well spiritually, to be a church where our hearts are engaged, where we're not just going through the motions. And my prayer is that this service, as well as our Christmas Eve service, will be instrumental in helping you do this Christmas really well. We're, we've been in a season that's really preparing us called Playlist Christmas, and it's been a study of those, those four songs, the very first Christmas songs that were written on the very first Christmas. Their lyrics and poetic form uh, recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapters 1 and 2. And finally, we come to the last of the four Christmas songs. This one, the Song of the Angels. And before we dive into the text, I wanted to introduce a very interesting guy to you. His name is Stan. Here's a picture of Stan Hurd. Stan, uh, years ago, had this decision to make, and that is, what career am I going to pursue? And he had all these interests. He was raised on a farm, a farmer at heart, generations of farming. But he was also an artist, you know, so he loved plants, but he loved art. And he became maybe a landscape architect would be one way to describe it. Here's him working with some plants out in the fields, what he loves to do. If I were to take you to some of the landscape architecture that Stan has done, you would uh, walk with me through and you'd say, wow, this guy's really good. I mean, this row of hedges is so beautiful and well-maintained, and this clump of flowers is just gorgeous. We'd walk the little path, and you'd appreciate the beauty of what he, he has made, but you would fail to appreciate it fully. And the reason you would fail to appreciate it fully is that Stan's art cannot be seen well with your feet on the ground. With your feet on the ground, that vantage point just doesn't give you the full view. Let me show you a picture of Stan's art. Uh, That's his art. And at first glance, it may be difficult for you to realize what you're looking at. These are people over here, all right? These are tarps spread and the crowd is gathering. So this is a massive field that he has used various types of vegetation to create. Isn't that incredible? Here's another one. Yeah, Stan is from the state of Kansas, and so he took this field and he grew it into the state emblem. Just in case you're not aware, these are people lining around uh, this massive picture. Let's go to the next one. Amelia Earhart, next one. Uh, He's a big Van Gogh fan and uh, took a field and turned it into a replica of one of Van Gogh's paintings. Next. Uh, Indian. This is actually the road wrapping around the field you can see here. Next one. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, the guy is just really, really gifted. And once again, the beauty of what he makes is not seen with a vantage point from the ground. You need to get up in an airplane or helicopter up high to really capture the beauty. I want to make a case that the same is true for Christmas. That our vantage point, boots on the ground, viewing the manger scene and understanding what Jesus came to do, that this vantage point is insufficient to fully grasp the startling beauty that's seen through the event 
of Christmas. To really appreciate Christmas, we need a higher vantage point. We need to look down on Christmas from up from heaven. We need to see it through the eyes of the angels. And one of the great opportunities of this song, the song of the angels, is that it provides us just that. You know, the angels are kind of outsiders. Jesus did not come to save them. So this isn't a, Christmas is not about them. And yet, as outsiders looking in, they have an appreciation of the meaning of Christmas that maybe we would miss if it were not for their song. And so, let's seek to understand the love of God revealed to us through the birth of Jesus Christ, displayed through Christmas. You ready? So, Luke 2 is our text, and the context is the night Jesus was born. The night Jesus was born, an angel appeared to some shepherds nearby and said, the event of all events has occurred. The Messiah has been born. You need shepherds to get there. We got to have a party. I mean, it's not uh, sufficient for them, the parents, to celebrate alone. You'll find the baby lying in a manger and encourage them to go. And then after the instructions were given, that's when the sky lit up. I mean, oh, to try to imagine this. The, the sky was filled with this immense crowd of glowing, angelic beings who could not contain their enthusiasm and burst into song. Can you imagine what that choir of angels sounded like? Well, here's what they sang. Here, let's start. We're in Luke 2, verse 13. Suddenly... A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God. So the essence of the song is a praise song. It is a worship song, as will become evident. Praising God and saying, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Just want to acknowledge that if you remember the Charlie Brown's Christmas, the Peanuts special, was it Linus? Is he the one who read it? Yeah. You know, they they used to read the old King James version of this song, and you may be familiar with those words, and this version may even bug you. You're like, that's not how it goes, you know. There's the goodwill toward men, you know. That's how it originally was. I just want to acknowledge that I've uh, done quite a bit of reading and modern scholarship understands the, the Greek a lot better and even the ancient manuscripts. And though you may not like that it's been updated, I will tell you this is really accurate. And so we're going to, uh, with a joy and a smile on our face, we're going to study it in the NIV. All right, here's the song. I want to point out from this simple verse three observations, three truths about Christmas that the angels saw with greater clarity than we see. All right? And the first I want to call the descent of Christmas. Christmas at its core is movement of God from up high, the highest heaven, down low to planet Earth. the angels praise God, glory to God. They, they are saying, in a sense, that what we see that God has done, when we look at this baby lying in a manger, the angels say, this deserves glory to God. When, when you understand what the Lord has done, 
you too would join us in giving praise to him because this is amazing. Now, what's interesting is they say glory to God in the highest heaven. In other words, God deserves glory everywhere. Yes, here on planet earth, we should be praising him. But he says, you know what? God's getting glory everywhere, even in the highest heaven. Now, that phrase, highest heaven, is a bit confusing to us. We're like, what do I mean? Are there more, he- more than one heaven? Scripture alludes to, not real clear on this, but alludes to the fact that heaven has regions, areas of distinction in them. And apparently there's a highest heaven. Maybe we can assume that's where the throne of God is. That's where the second person of the Trinity, you know, Jesus Christ, is God. He left the throne, and he came all the way down through the the regions of heaven, all the way down to planet Earth. And as a result, these angels say, can you believe what God has done? He deserves praise throughout all the universe, all the way to the highest heaven, the, the place he left to come here. That, this is the, called the incarnation theologically. This is the, the, the birth of God as a man. Unbelievable. But John says it well. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, this is a, a word that uh, refers to the second person of the Trinity. This is a, a way that Jesus is described. So Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's telling us two things. One is that the incarnation is God becoming a human being, God putting on flesh. Can you imagine the audacity that this would have created in the angels? Can you imagine the buzz in the angelic conversations as the plan of God was revealed to them? I mean, angels going, did you hear? I heard. This can't be right but I heard that God's going to become a human being. Yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, Why would he do that? Why does he love them so much? Not only does God become a human being, but God made his dwelling among us. Jesus came to live with us. And again, we're not shocked by that in the same way that the angels are because the angels understand that this planet is the rebellious planet, the the dark, the hideous planet, the one in rebellion. The one, think about the rebellion associated with planet Earth. Both angelic rebellion and human rebellion have their headquarters on this planet. When the angels, some of them, rebelled, becoming demons, The Bible says they were cast down to planet Earth. And when humanity rebelled, going back to our forefathers, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, doing the one thing God asked them not to, they joined the rebellion. And so God, becoming a human being and going to live in the enemy-occupied territory is absolutely shocking. Those angels just scratch their head and say, glory to God in the highest. He is amazing. One of the the images of this incarnation that spoke to me back uh, in 2003, maybe some of you will recall, on that Thanksgiving in 2003, George W. Bush was president at the time, and he, he shocked the whole nation 
by going to Iraq, to Baghdad, to the heart of the Iraq war, to the center of enemy-occupied territory to, to celebrate Thanksgiving with the American troops. Uh, we found out about it when he was on the plane back home safe because the mission was entirely secretive. Everybody, including his father, the former president, thought he was in Texas with his family celebrating Thanksgiving. But in fact... He was incognito. He, he had taken off the suit and tie that normally the president wears, and he had put on the army uniform of a common soldier. And on a special plane, he was being smuggled deep into enemy-occupied territory under the cover of night. And to the shock of all those soldiers, the president came walking in, sat at the table with them to celebrate Thanksgiving, not the head of the table, He was shoulder to shoulder with them, looking like one of them. Uh, Only two and a half hours, and you know he was out of there to, you know, make it safe before anyone found out. But when I heard that, I thought, boy, that's just like the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The, you know, the some critics said. Bush should never have done that. He should never have put his life on the line by risking it all for him to go to the heart of it all. And I can imagine the angels critiquing in the same way. What is God doing? What do you mean he's going to be like one of them? What do you mean he's going to go to planet Earth and live there? He could be in danger. He could get hurt. Yeah. Maybe getting hurt is part of the plan. Maybe dying at the hands of the enemy is the part of the plan. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He shocks everybody. And the, the uh, people, the angels were just in awe of the audacity that God would come to planet Earth as one of them to live among us in order to save us. And the angels shook their head and said, oh my, how he loves them. The descent of Christmas. Let's go to, uh, back to our outline the descent of Christmas, and now let's look at this next phrase, and that is what I'm going to call the shalom of Christmas. You heard the term shalom? That's how Jewish people today continue to greet one another with that sacred word, shalom. And shalom is a translation of peace. So when the angels proclaimed, and on earth, peace. Uh, That's shalom. And shalom, oh my, what a beautiful concept. You need to understand what shalom is. Shalom is not just peace as in I'm not fighting with you. It's about inner peace. It's about that state of being where there is serenity in your heart, where you are satisfied to the core, where you can say, oh, it is well with my soul. Shalom is is what the heart of God is like. God enjoys shalom. And his kingdom is characterized by shalom. Heaven is characterized by shalom. And when the angels say shalom on earth, that is one of the most audacious statements imaginable. Again, to us, we have peace on earth. You know, we say it and we don't even think twice about it. But the angels, when they say it, they're like, ah, shalom on earth again. Earth is the dark, rebellious, hideous planet. 
earth is the last place in the universe you would expect to find shalom. And yet because of Christmas, because of the Christmas mission, because of Christ's coming with the mission to die for the sins of humanity, providing reconciliation with people and God, through this reconciliation and this friendship with God, we on planet Earth, the dark, hideous planet, can find shalom. Now, it's still the dark, hideous planet. It's still a planet filled with immense pain and suffering that all of us have to endure, whether it be financial pain or relational pain or physical pain. There's so much agony. And yet, in the midst of the chaos of our home planet, shalom is available. In the midst of the craziness we in our hearts can say, I am right with God, and it's good in me. Shalom. Craziness. But because of Christmas, <laughs> the God thing, shalom, is available on this planet. Isn't that incredible? You know, I'll show you a picture of shalom to me. This is a, a beach by the name of Socatra. Socatra Beach, maybe you've been there. I don't know. I mean, it's gorgeous. When I think of shalom, this is what I think of. You know, aqua, waters, white, soft sand, mountains in the background. Don't you feel it? Don't you want to go there? Add your footprints in the sand to this guy taking a walk. Shalom. And yet, I would not advise you to go here. This particular beach, Socatra, is in a country known as Yemen. Yemen is on the southern end of Saudi Arabia. It is listed in the top five most dangerous countries on planet Earth. Terrorism abounds in Yemen. It is war-torn, vicious, and violent. And now that you know that, there's this weird kind of tension in this picture. This is Yemen! This is one of the most awful places on planet Earth. And yet, there is shalom there. And that's the awkwardness and the tension of when the angels proclaim peace on Earth. They're like, who would have thought that the heart can be full in the midst of the chaos? It's like saying there's paradise and hell in some ways. That the shalom has come to Earth Folks, don't ever lose the shock of that. Sometimes we grow so familiar with these phrases and these spiritual truths that the, the audacity is lost on us. We need to go back to the scandal of Christmas and say, who would have thought that God would leave his throne in heaven, become a human being, live in the enemy-occupied territory among us in order to bring shalom to planet Earth unbelievable. The angels say, man, he must love those people. One more. One more. Going back to our outline, the descent of Christmas, the shalom of Christmas, and now the pleasure of Christmas. Right away you think, oh, little kids opening presents, that's the pleasure of Christmas, right? Uh, that's a pleasure of Christmas, but there's a greater pleasure in Christmas. And that's the pleasure of God in us. Let me show you. 
So those on whom his favor rests. One of the things that I want to make clear is that this, this angelic song proclaims peace on earth not to everybody. That's one of the problems with the old King James Version. It made it seem like peace on earth and goodwill to men, like all humanity was to receive this great gift. And that's not so. The, the, the song is promising that the people of God get the shalom. The, the community of faith, those reconciled to the Lord, his Adopted family are the shalom bearers, all right? And what's really interesting, though, is how the angels refer to the people of God, his people. We are those on whom his favor rests. The word favor, we get favorite from. We are his favorite ones. The, the word favor there is eudikia, the Greek word, eudikia. And the, the essence of eudikia is pleasure or delight. Many of the other versions of this actually say, those on whom he is pleased, or those whom he is pleased with. The pleasure of God is the essence of what's going on here. This is crazy, and you may even need to wake up in order to understand this, but God enjoys you. God finds being with you pleasurable. God delights in his people. The the Psalms say that. God delights in his people. The angels don't get it. You know, the angels are like, I've, I've seen some of those human beings, and let me tell you, they're not the type you enjoy. And, and that's the irony of it, because some of you may know yourself pretty well, and you know what's ugly in you, and you do things that you know God hates. And there's a side of you goes, I don't think he enjoys me. The pleasure of God has never been about the beauty of the beloved, but the unique quality of the lover, God. Grace is undeserved love or favor. And it's so important to know that the craziness of God saying, I really like you. I mean, that's the craziness. He, he, not, he doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. And God says, I really like you is not based on the fact that you're perfect because you're not. And he knows that. And that's why Christ came to cover that sin. But the Bible says that because of the unique capacity of God to love the unlovely, he delights in us, just loves us, enjoys us, delights in being with us. It's one of the crazy realities that is demonstrated in this incarnation, the coming of Jesus. The angels scratch their head. God just really loves, he he finds joy in these people. There's an Old Testament verse in Zephaniah that describes the delight of God in humanity so well. And maybe you've read this before. The Lord will take great delight in you. It's getting very specific. You, child of God. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Unbelievable. Can you picture God over you, singing, dancing, celebrating his love for you? You know, when you think of God, 
when you bring an image of God to mind, is he dancing? And you say, no, my God is very stoic and serious. And I suppose that's appropriate part of the time. God is stoic and serious. There's a severity to what God needs to do. But if you want to have a holistic, biblical, accurate understanding of God, he dances, he celebrates, and he celebrates you. I mean, these words need to fit your understanding of God. He delights. Do you think of God as happy? Oh, my God is full of shalom. He is filled with joy. Jesus said, may my joy be in you. Filled with joy in you. He enjoys you. He will quiet you with his love. He will love you so intensely that it just leaves you speechless. He will rejoice over you with song. Folks, the angels marvel at how much God loves human beings as evidenced in the Christmas miracle. Going back to our outline, that the descent of Christmas from the highest heaven to the lowest depth to planet Earth to be with these people he adores, that he brought shalom, his very heart condition. He brought shalom to Earth, unthinkable, and the pleasure of God. He loves being with them, as evidenced by his decision to join them. The angels say, I hope you people realize just how much God loves you, because Christmas proclaims it if you have eyes to see. I want to end with a little question for you. I want to talk about family Christmas parties. Can we do that? Family Christmas parties. This week is the week of family Christmas parties. And let's just be honest, there are differing reactions to family Christmas parties, are there not? The the way people emotionally respond to family Christmas parties is very, very different. Uh, Some people avoid them. Uh, Some people uh, just say, listen, I know my family might be gathering. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not going. In a lot of cases, there is tremendous sadness in this because there is complete relational breakdown. And that is really, really hard. Uh, Some people endure them. Others would say, I wish I could avoid them, but my wife doesn't allow me to. And so I go, and uh, it is torture. But I, with God's grace, will put a smile on my face and endure the family Christmas party. Uh, second, uh, thirdly, a three-star approach, if you will, is to tolerate them. They would say, you know what, I wouldn't say I endure them. They're not exactly my favorite people, but I can tolerate them, and I'll just go and serve my time and be done with this, all right? A four-star approach, better than that, is to say, you know, I, I actually enjoy them. They're good. My family are good people. Not perfect people, but they're good people. And it's actually a pleasurable experience for me to be around them. So I I would say I enjoy them. And then there's some five-star approaches. I love them! Those family Christmas parties are the highlight of my year. My family, I adore them, and they adore me, and we got something 
we laugh, and it's just a dream come true for me to be at those family Christmas parties. Now, as I went through the list, you were all, I know you were all, you were all thinking about how do I feel about getting together with my relatives. That's not what I wanted you to think about. I wanted you to turn the table and ask the question, how do my relatives feel about being with me? How do they feel about celebrating Christmas with you? And maybe this actually opens a very tender spot in your heart because they avoid you and don't come. Though you invite them, they don't come. Maybe you suspect they endure you. Maybe they tolerate you. Maybe they enjoy you. Maybe they love being with you. Now, ultimately... How your family is feeling right now at the potential of getting together to celebrate Christmas with you doesn't matter. At least it doesn't matter as much as this question. How does God feel about the prospect of celebrating Christmas with you this week? And I'm here to tell you, based on the angelic perspective, he can't wait God looks at the opportunity to celebrate. God loves celebrating Christmas more than any of us. And the opportunity to celebrate it with you fills his heart with anticipation, excitement, passion, and joy. You're one of his favorite people on planet Earth. He delights in being with you. And I've, I've talked with some who, in heavy hearts, and my heart is heavy for them, they say, well, I will have no Christmas parties, nobody to celebrate with this Christmas. And when they've said that to them, I've reminded them, ah, oh, no, 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 that's not true. The Lord can't wait to celebrate the birth of Christ with you this Christmas. And he's the one that matters most. And so if you have eyes to see, in a heart to recognize, God is waiting in anticipation this week to have a time of celebration with you, for you to direct your attention and recognize his presence, to talk with him, to sing to him, to laugh with him, to be with him. And God can't wait. He finds pleasure in you. And I pray this Christmas you will not just recognize that, acknowledge that truth, but that you'll enter into it. You'll seek to live it more than aunts and uncles, grandparents, children, grandchildren. You will seek to connect with the King of Kings and bask in his joy and his love for you this Christmas. The angels say, man, I hope, I hope you people realize how important you are to him. Shall we pray? God, thank you for recording the song that the angels sang. And Lord, we just want to acknowledge we don't get Christmas. We get it in part. But Lord, we know that we've only wrapped our heart around a small fraction of what is being proclaimed in God being born a human being. Lord, maybe this Christmas can be different, better than the past. Could you help us 
see your joy? Can we celebrate this Christmas with you? Even now, Lord, we recognize your presence in this place. Help us to sing this next song. Enjoy celebrating what you've done through Christmas. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.